good morning, church family. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it to John chapter number three, the gospel of John chapter number three. We have been in a study through the gospel of John for the last several weeks, and we will continue to do so until we finish uh, walking through the gospel of John. So probably be a little while so you can mark your Bible pretty much every week for the foreseeable future. Uh, We will find ourselves in the gospel of John. We have started a series that's titled Come and See, and our entire goal is just to come uh, investigate the life of Jesus and see how that impacts us every single day. And so we're excited uh, to be looking at the Gospel of John. Listen, as you're finding that, I want to ask you a question. How many people in the room remember, or maybe you've heard of, a guy by the name of Chuck Norris? Anybody? Chuck Norris, you've heard this name before? All right, good. So I'm, I'm not alone. Uh, <laughs> Of all the people that I remember in the world, none of them have seemed to have surpassed a guy by the name of Chuck Norris. Now, maybe you're wondering why. Well, in case you really do have that question, I'm excited to inform you of why Chuck Norris is such a big deal. You may or may not know this, but it's said that Chuck Norris built the hospital that he was born in. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what legend holds. Matter of fact, it's also said that if Chuck Norris were to travel to an alternate dimension in which there was another Chuck Norris and they fought each other, both Chuck Norrises would win. The dinosaurs looked at Chuck Norris the wrong way once. You know what happened to them, right? It's said, legend holds, that Chuck Norris's tears can cure cancer. Too bad he's never cried before, or we would have... Okay, maybe not. You may or may not know this, maybe you've been curious, but there really is no chin behind Chuck Norris's beard. There's only another fist, in case you're wondering. Since 1940, the year that Chuck Norris was born, roundhouse kick-related deaths have increased by 13,000%. Not really sure what that number was before then, but legend holds that once a cobra bit Chuck Norris, And after five days of excruciating pain, the cobra died. When the boogeyman goes to sleep every night, he checks his closet for Chuck Norris. In fact, Chuck Norris is the very reason why Waldo is always hiding. I know those are silly, and I hope you found them to be as well. As a matter of fact, if you just search Chuck Norris sayings, there are hundreds of Chuck Norris sayings. In my generation, certainly before me, Chuck Norris would be what I would call the greatest human who has ever lived. Now listen, regardless of what the world thinks of Chuck Norris, Jesus mentions a different man who is called great. It's not Noah, it's not Abraham or Moses, it's not Elijah or Elisha, it's not David, it's not Daniel, it's not any of those great Old Testament heroes that we might think Jesus would point to. No, Jesus says this about a guy by the name of John the Baptist. As a matter of fact, here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. There it is. Jesus himself makes the claim, the greatest born of women 
is John the Baptist. No one is greater. Now, maybe you're thinking, Danny, why are we talking about Chuck Norris? Why are we talking about John the Baptist? Well, it's really simple. I think it makes sense if John is considered the greatest man who's ever lived that's been born of woman, I think it makes sense to explore what made John the Baptist so great. Now, I don't have a list of legends like I do for Chuck Norris. Instead, what I do have is what John the Apostle records about John the Baptist in John chapter number three. And so we're going to pick up beginning in verse number 22, and we're just going to walk through these scriptures this morning because I want to show you why I consider Chuck Norris or why I consider the Chuck Norris of the New Testament to be John the Baptist. Look at verse 22. Let's begin reading together in John chapter number three. It says, after this, now that's an undefined period of time, but if you look back at John chapter three, there's a huge moment with a guy named Nicodemus, most famous passage of scripture in the Bible, John three sixteen. This encounter has ended, and then some period of time after that, Jesus and his disciples went into Ju- the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. So whatever time period that was, Jesus has now entered into where John the Baptist is, and he is baptizing, or at least his disciples are. Look at verse 23. It says, John was also baptizing, that is John the Baptist, at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. For John, little note here from John the Apostle about John the Baptist, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now listen, we're not sure how long it's been after the discussion with Nicodemus and Jesus' proclamation of John 3.16, but at some point in time, we find Jesus and his disciples in Judea where John the Baptist was also doing ministry. Now just reflection moment from the beginning of John. Jesus has turned water into wine. He's chased people out of the temple. He's thrown tables over. He's told Nicodemus that he must be born again. He has famously said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Monumental moments have happened already in the gospel according to John. And now Jesus's ministry continues. John the Baptist has found himself in a place where water was plentiful. This should not be surprising since his nickname is John the Baptizer. He's known for baptizing people. In fact, many people, Gentiles, Jews, rich, poor, soldiers, it did not matter who you were, you were flocking to John the Baptist to be baptized. Even though Jesus' ministry has become known, even though he's become extremely popular at, at this point in time, John the Baptist still has people flocking to him to be baptized. But Jesus, who had been doing ministry in Galilee, John the Baptist, who had been doing ministry in Judea, now their ministries come together as Jesus has come to that same area and has begun to do ministry where John the Baptist was also popular. Now, I think there's a hint here from John the Apostle who's reflecting on these former days of life. I think that's what he means when he says the phrase in verse 24, John the Baptist had not yet been put in prison. I wonder if he's thinking, remember those good old days, fellas. You remember back when John was not imprisoned yet, back when he was not killed, back when he was still baptizing people and him and Jesus were side by side doing ministry in the same area. Man, those, those days were great, right? Maybe that's why he interjects that little note there. 
Also, it may be in order to let us know where we are in the timeline of Jesus's ministry compared to the other gospel accounts. You see, the other gospel accounts begin recording Jesus's ministry after the arrest of John the Baptist. John, the apostle, is the only one who records these events before John the Baptist is arrested. Now, what's interesting about this to me is that John the Baptist and Jesus probably did ministry alongside one another for at least a few months. This gives us greater weight, greater purpose to John the Baptist, who for as long as he could pointed people to Jesus. That was his ultimate goal, to pave the way for Christ. Then it says, go with me, we'll keep going. John chapter 3, look at verse 25. After the setting is built, Jesus and John the Baptist in the same area are baptizing people. A discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who, he who was with you across the Jordan, he's talking about Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, interesting side note here, this phrase, a discussion arose, probably means more than just a conversation. Matter of fact, you might have used this word before, talking about your spouse when your kids came up and said, mom, why are you and dad arguing so much? And you looked at him and said, oh, sweetie, we're not arguing, we're just having a discussion right? You've used uh, that terminology before. That's probably the sensitivity that John gives to this moment. It's probably not really a discussion. It's probably more like a fight. It's probably more like an argument. And this discussion was probably likely over the reasons for a Jew to be baptized. Baptism was something a Gentile might do in converting to Judaism, but not a Jew who was a Jew from birth. This Jew may have been reminding them of the ritual purification laws and that baptism wasn't among them. So there's a debate that's happening. Now, this discussion could have also been because this Jew was informing the disciples of John about Jesus's baptism that was happening close to the same area. You say, Danny, why would this be important? Because regardless of the conversation, John's disciples seem to be concerned that all are going to Jesus rather than being baptized by John. Now, this is understood even more from the response of John the Baptist to this comment that we will read in a few moments. But evidently, John's disciples viewed Jesus as one who owed his success to John the Baptist's testimony. You can read about that in John chapter 1. They viewed Jesus' activities as an invasion of their own master's prerogatives, and they nurtured hostility hostility toward Jesus as a result. You see, John the Baptist had baptized Jesus, and now Jesus seems to be hogging all of the attention to himself. Here's the thought behind John the Baptist's disciples. How dare Jesus take from John? How dare he become more popular than the rabbi that they are following? Listen, this is not, on, this is not the only occurrence where people bicker back and forth on who is greater or who we should follow. In fact, the apostle Paul gives a word to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where this same type of division is happening. He tells them, he says, you are to be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You are to be united around Christ. And then he says, listen, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? That's the question Paul asked him. Was Paul crucified for you or were you 
baptized in the name of Paul. Of course not. It was all about Jesus. John the Baptist realizes his disciples have forgotten what he's already said about Christ. He takes no praise for himself. Instead, he shows us exactly why we should point to Jesus and not ourselves. Friends, I'm about to give you why I believe John the Baptist is the Chuck Norris of the New Testament. Why Jesus calls him the greatest man ever born from a woman. Why? Why is John the Baptist the one that fits into this category? Well, look at verse 27. I want to begin there. John answered. His disciples have come back. They've asked him this question. Why is Jesus getting all the credit? Everybody's going to him, which by the way, we already know from John chapter 3 that they weren't all actually going to Jesus. This is just a part of the, the division that's happening. They're like, why is this happening? Jesus should be paying homage to you, John. But look at verse 27. I love John's answer. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. What's he saying? Well, John's telling us that our very function is found in Jesus. That's the first thing. He's telling his disciples, anyone else who's in the area, anyone who's listening, listen, my very breath that I have, disciples, comes from Jesus. My very purpose in this life comes from Jesus. My very function is found in no one other than Jesus. Now you say, Danny, why is that important for us? Well, because I want you to think about what this means for every Christian in the room and even someone who's not a Christian. We all exist for whatever purpose God has given each of us. We keep living because he has a purpose. We breathe the next day because he has a purpose for us. We find our function in Jesus. Now here's what that means for us. It means there are no cuts. You say, Danny, what do you mean? You ever tried to be a part of a team or a group or a club and you just weren't good enough to make it? Anybody ever been in that category? Okay, I'm alone. All right, I'm the only one who didn't make the cut for whatever it was. I tried of everything that I could offer to make it and it wasn't good enough. I've been told that plenty of times. Well, you know what's awesome about being a part of the body of Christ? Every person who decides to follow Jesus is gifted in some way to fulfill a purpose that he has for your life. You are not the exception. You might be here this morning, you say, Danny, I don't really, I'm not as good as those other Christians. I, I don't really have as much as other people have. I can't can't offer what other Christians can offer. I'm just going to sit in the back and I'm just going to, you know, blend in. I'm not going to try to serve. I'm not going to try to do anything. I, I really don't make the cut, Danny. Well, that's not true. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. He said, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You know what that means, friends? Every follower of Christ has been gifted to serve the body of Christ. There are no cuts when it comes to the church. If you belong to Jesus, if you're a part of the team, you've been gifted. You have a function within the body of Christ. You know what else this means? It means not only are there no cuts, it means there's no complaining. You say, hey, what do you mean? John the Baptist was content with the role that God had given him. He didn't long to be someone he wasn't. He would never complain that God had gifted someone else differently than he had gifted him. He never wanted to be what someone else was purposed to be. Instead, he took joy in the gifts that the Lord gave him and the purpose that he existed for, and he wanted his best to do what the Lord had purposed him to do. There was no complaining. John the Baptist knew 
knew that God knew best. As a matter of fact, if God wanted John the Baptist to baptize everyone and Jesus to baptize no one, that was good enough because that's what God wanted. Or if God wanted John the Baptist to baptize nobody and Jesus to baptize everybody, that was okay with John the Baptist. Why? Because he just wanted to be obedient to God. John the Baptist was pleased to be a part of anything that God wanted. He knew God didn't have to use him, God didn't need him, but God wanted to gift him and use him. Friends, can I remind you of something? God has gifted you for the specific purpose and place that he's put you in. Don't complain about what you don't have, rather cherish what you do have. You have a function within the body of Christ. His disciples are coming to him. Man, Jesus is becoming so much more famous than you. And John the Baptist is going, what are you talking about? My very function is found in this guy. He should be more famous than me. Friends, so do we. No cuts, no complaining. You know what else it means? It means there's no competition. I'm reminded of a lesson from John the Baptist. God gifts us all differently and on purpose to serve in his kingdom as he sees fit. God has made you, listen to this statement, he has made you on purpose for a purpose. Friends, be content with how God has gifted you and be faithful to use your gifts for his will. Find out whatever it is that God wants you to do, however it is that he's gifted you to serve. Listen to me, find out what God wants you to do and then do it on purpose purpose. Don't try to be something that you're not. Don't be upset that you're not gifted in the way someone else is. You will only find your joy as you serve the way that God has gifted you to serve. Why? Because he knows best. My function is found in Jesus. There's no competition. It's whatever God wants for me to do. As a matter of fact, to think that you know better than God what you should be doing may be the most covetous, arrogant thing that you could possibly do. Listen to what Paul wrote. It's very similar to what John the Baptist said. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He said, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You know what he's saying? Whatever gift you have, you use it for the glory of God and you give him credit and you give him praise. Whatever gift you don't have, you don't be upset about that, but instead praise that gift in other people because God's the one who gave it to him for his glory to point to him. Whatever the case may be, everything that I have, everything that I've been created for, every purpose that must be fulfilled in my life is found in Jesus. Hallelujah, right? John the Baptist didn't see any competition. Instead, what he saw was Jesus's purposes being worked out in his life because he knew his function was found in Jesus. Let me show you the second thing. It's found beginning in verse 28. Let's keep reading. John 3, verse 28. Look at this. John goes on. He says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him, there it is again, I'm not Jesus, guys. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, I love it, here it is. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Why? He must increase, but I must decrease. What's John saying? Well, certainly our function is found in Jesus, but he's also showing us that my fulfillment is found in Jesus. My fulfillment, 
the very satisfaction for my heart and my soul, the very satisfaction that I may crave and try to find in anything else cannot be found anywhere other than Jesus. This is why John the Baptist's joy is now complete. Why? Because he's done what God has given him to do. He was never going to be the Christ. He was simply the messenger sent to pave the way for the arrival of Jesus. He told us this back in John chapter 1. John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He knew it wasn't about him, it was about Jesus. He knew he had to decrease so that Jesus could increase. As a matter of fact, listen to how Martin Luther put this. He said, God created the world out of nothing. And when I realize that I am nothing, perhaps God can create something out of me too. Right? In the moment that we realize it's all about Jesus, not us, is the moment when God can really begin to create something out of us. Jesus has come. John the Baptist has cleared the way. He's prepared the people for his coming. Now he can sit back in beautiful satisfaction knowing that he has done what God desired from his life. We don't find John the Baptist sad because the attention is no longer his. We don't find him wanting to have a greater role than the one that God intended for him to have. No. For John the Baptist, it was never about the job. It was always about the joy. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, he uses the example of a bridegroom and his friend. The idea of Jesus and his followers as a, as a bride and a groom and, and a wedding scene is nothing new to the New Testament or the Old Testament. This language was constantly used to describe the relationship that the church would have with Jesus. As a matter of fact, listen to some of these descriptions. As the friend of the bridegroom, his job was to ask for the hand of the bride, to arrange the preliminaries of the wedding, and to oversee the reception of the bride and the bridegroom. For John the Baptist, he had done that. His cup of joy overflowed because now everyone could hear the voice of the bridegroom instead of his own voice. It was always about the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom in ancient Near East culture held considerably more responsibility than what we would call the best man today. In addition to helping the bridegroom prepare his home for the eventual day when the bride would come to stay, he helped direct the wedding feast at the end of the betrothal period. His most significant duty was to guard the bridal chamber during the feast, especially after the bride had slipped into the room unnoticed by the guest. No one except for the groom was allowed to go near the bridal chamber. When the friend of the groom heard the groom's voice, he stood aside. His joy was complete when the groom arrived. The ancient equivalent of a best man who organized the details and presided over a Judean wedding found his greatest joy in watching the ceremony proceed without a problem and in knowing that the groom and his bride were being united with great rejoicing. Friends, that's our goal. We want the world not to see us. We want them to see the bridegroom. We want them to see Jesus is here. We want to point to someone way greater than us. This is why John the Baptist could say, he must increase, but I must decrease. Matter of fact, the word complete, it literally means fulfilled. It carries the idea of a cup being filled to the brim and overflowing. That's the feeling of John the Baptist. He's, his fulfillment happened through his obedience to Jesus. That is so true of us. 
We'll never find fulfillment in anything other than serving Jesus. We'll never find satisfaction other than fulfilling the purpose that he has made within us. I pray, I pray the compliment that's said of me most is not what a great sermon you preached, but what a great Christ you proclaimed. I love what Herschel Hobbes wrote. He said, the more of us men see, the less of Christ will they see. And the less of us they see, the more of Christ will they see. That's the goal, more of Christ. Matter of fact, I read a story. It was a memory that someone shared about a summer spent in the mountains of Wyoming. There was a camp there that this particular person went to. It was up on a mountain a solid 25 minutes from the closest small town. They give this testimony. They said, when the sun went down, the moon and stars began to light up the sky. There was no city lights for them to compete with. There was no haze or smog, just cool, clear mountain air. As night deepened, the intensity of the stars and the moon grew. They said that they were amazed at how bright the stars and the moon were. We would lie out under the stars and enjoy the wonders of the night sky. But every morning the sun would come up and the stars and the moon, as bright as they were, would start to fade. When the sun appeared, the stars were unnecessary. You see, John the Baptist was a star, but when it came to the sun, the star faded. Here's in essence what John is saying. It's okay for me to fade into the background. Follow Jesus. He's here now. He's the reason for all that we do. He's the fulfillment that John could experience. Matter of fact, these final words of John the Baptist before he would be arrested and imprisoned might be the most powerful powerful in the Gospel of John. I love how the New Living Translation translates this verse, John 3, 30, when it says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Why? Look at verse 31. Why does he need to become greater and greater and I become less and less? Well, look at what John wrote. He who comes from above is above all. Just think about that phrase. He is above all. John the Baptist may have been the greatest man born of woman, but nothing compared to Jesus. Neither are we. Think about it. Jesus is supreme. Nothing and no one is greater than Jesus. He has authority over all things. Everything has been put under his rule and under his control. Consider the majestic redwood trees, some standing more than 300 feet in the air or soaring mountain peaks reaching five and a half miles into the sky. Guess what? Jesus is greater. Picture the crashing ocean waves or gigantic solar systems. Guess what? Jesus is greater. Think about Nobel Prize winners or the heads of state. Oh, friends, Jesus is greater. He is above all. He is supreme over all creation. We think of people in the past that are heroes like Abraham and Moses or David or Daniel or Peter or Paul, but none of them compare with Jesus. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews put it. He said, long ago at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, listen to this, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Mic drop, right? Jesus is above it all. That's the guy that must increase, not me. 
do we decrease so that Jesus can increase? John the Baptist's service to God was well beyond the job. It was for the joy that could only be experienced, the satisfaction that could only be gained through lifting up the name of Christ. He's telling us why he's the Chuck Norris of the New Testament. It's because he pointed to Jesus, his very function found in Christ, his very fulfillment found in Christ. But watch this. Let me show you something else. Look at verse 32. John chapter 3, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, not things that other people have talked about. No, no, no. He was there. He saw it with his own eyes. He heard it with his own ears, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. You know what else John points us to? He points us to the fact that my foundation is found in Jesus, everything. Think about Jesus for a moment, friends. He's more than just profound. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Jesus isn't just smart or have a lot of knowledge. No, friends, Jesus has been there for it all. Listen to this description just to get your mind in how great Jesus is, how he is our foundation. Listen to this. Way back before time began, before the rustle of an angel's wing disturbed the silence of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit decided to act in creation. They accepted the possibility that if they acted in creation and made a creature, made a man, and gave him intellect and emotions and will, they would also have to act in redemption. Can I tell you something, friends? Jesus was there. He is speaking of things he has seen and heard. When we hear Jesus talking about marriage in terms of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, guess what, friends? Jesus was there. It was something he had seen and heard. When he spoke of Noah, the ark, and the flood, it's the same. It was something he had seen and heard. When he talked about Abraham or Noah or Isaiah or David or Daniel, these were people he had seen and heard. When he talked about the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, he was there. He had seen and heard. When he talked about the great gulf fixed and described the torment of a soul in hell, he had seen and heard. When he spoke of his father's house of many mansions, he was talking about things he had seen and heard. When he unveiled the future, talked about building a church, talked about the end time rebirth of the state of Israel, talked about the desecration of a future temple and about a coming great tribulation. He was talking as one who stood outside our space-time dimensional limitations in an unwavering present tense that he had seen and heard. Friends, Jesus is my foundation and not just mine, but the foundation of all things. Listen to Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things and in in him all things hold together. Friends, he's more than profound. Listen, he's more than poetic. John says he utters the words of God. He's more than crafty statements, friends. He's our foundation. Listen to Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, he is more than powerful. He gives the spirit without 
measure. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit from his very first breath and from the time of his baptism, fully anointed by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 2, 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Friends, Jesus isn't like men before him. He doesn't have a measure of the Spirit to accomplish a task. He is the very fullness of God. And listen to me, friends, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, indwells my life so I can live in the same power of the Holy Spirit. God has given all things into his hands. And don't miss what John says. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. You say, Danny, what seal? Well, listen to Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Friends, my foundation is found in Jesus. Why in the world is John the Baptist the Chuck Norris of the New Testament? It's simple, friends. He knew that everything in his life was because of Jesus. His function was because of Jesus. His fulfillment was found in Jesus. His foundation was in Jesus. But let me show you this, verse 36, last one, you ready? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. He's the Chuck Norris of the New Testament because he knows that our future is found in Jesus. That's it. Jesus alone, friends. There is no future apart from Jesus. We might have some good years here on this earth, but apart from Jesus, you will spend eternity separated from God. The wrath of God remaining on you. You know what your only claim to life is? You know what my only claim to life is? It's that I believe in the Son of God. John's already mentioned this truth multiple times in this chapter alone. John 3.15, he said that, Whoever believes in him might have eternal life. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Friends, Jesus is everything to us. John the Baptist isn't the Chuck Norris of the New Testament because he's got some cool statements you can look up on the internet about him. No, no, no. There's no myths to what John the Baptist pointed to. He's the greatest because everything about his life paved the way for the world to know Jesus. Think about that in its proper context, friends. Think about it. Why would this be significant for us today? Because John the Baptist is not the only one who finds his function in Jesus. So do we. Every gift Everything in the future, every decision I make, everything that I have belongs to him. I wouldn't have another breath if it wasn't for Jesus. Do you find your function in Jesus? That's it. Friends, listen, my very fulfillment, not just John the Baptist, my joy is made complete when it's satisfied in Jesus. That's it. There's nothing else in this life that will fulfill us because what we're missing is Jesus. That's it. Friend, John the Baptist knew. All there was was Jesus. His very fulfillment was in accomplishing the purpose that God had given him. Do we remember that our fulfillment can only be found in Jesus? Are you living that way? Friends, my very foundation is Jesus. Everything that I am, everything that I have, everything that will be is because, for, in, through Jesus. That's it. Friend, if you're here today and you've tried to build your life on something else other than Jesus, let me just tell you, he gave it all for you so that you could have new life. Don't wait any longer. Will you surrender your life to Jesus? Danny, why? Because our very future only exists through Jesus. 
Friend, if you're here and you don't know it, your future is not as bright as you think it can be. It can only, can only be found in Jesus and nothing else. Listen, I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know what God's trying to reveal to you today, but let me give you two things. One, if you don't know Christ, you can find him today. He waits with you with arms wide open, given everything so that you could have a life. Listen, if you don't know it, I'd love for in just a few moments when we sing, when we respond to the scripture, I'm gonna be right back there in that lobby. You just slip out from where you are and say, Danny, I need Jesus. And I'd love to take my Bible and tell you exactly how you can begin a relationship with Christ. Everything we are is found in Jesus. Do you know him? But you know what I know? Most people in here don't need me at all. You know what you need? You need to come find yourself at this altar, or you need to find yourself with God in just the next few moments, crying out to Him. Jesus is who you need. So believer in the room this morning, if you've tried to find your life in anything else, if you've been living for something other than Christ, may today be a wake-up call. We've learned from the Chuck Norris of the New Testament, the greatest man ever born of woman. Why is he so great? Because everything he did pointed to Jesus. Friends, is that your life? If not, why not? If you know Jesus, he should certainly be the very reason for your existence. He should be the one that you're pointing to every chance that you get. So listen, right now, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna get out of the way. I'm gonna be in that lobby. If you need me, you come find me. But you know what you need? You need Jesus. So maybe this morning, you take a moment and you spend some time with him. Maybe believer, you need to confess some sin. Maybe you need to ask the Lord to help you live in the way that John the Baptist lived. Maybe you need to be reminded of what your purpose is as you serve and use your gifts for the glory of Jesus. Friend, if you don't know him, why don't you come back there and see me? Let me tell you how you can start a life with Christ. Father, we love you.